Hello everyone, I am Mirta Hurtado Rivas. No VIPs or rock stars, just simple people sharing their life stories to trigger discussions around important topics or simply to inspire us to embrace challenges ourselves. Welcome to Leadership. Welcome everyone to another episode of Leadership. My guest today is Rachel Cockburn-Bull. She is head of brand IP at Faring. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Meta. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being my guest. It's my pleasure. It's always good to talk to you. Hope I can make a positive contribution. I'm sure about that. So let us dive in directly. My question, my first question is actually, what did you dream of becoming as a child? Well, actually, if I'm completely honest, I didn't really have a childhood dream. Um, I think I've never really been one for having a detailed plan or destination. And um, I think what's led me places has been curiosity and appetite for challenge, actually. Um, so, you know, I had, I had lots of diverse interests during my childhood and through my secondary and tertiary education, I... Um, I trained quite hard in dance. My subjects at school varied from um, chemical biology to painting and printmaking. And, you know, I also used some spare time in my 30s to become qualified in anatomy, physiology and, and massage therapy. So I, I've kind of been around a few corners and I, I think I, yeah, like I say, I, I ended up where I am because of curiosity and if somebody's sort of, tempts me with a challenge, then I find it very difficult to resist. <laughs> That's interesting because I think many of us were compelled when we were children to always answer this question, right? People, adults would come to us and say, so what is it you want to do when you're a grown up, right? And mm -hmm. I think um, it's interesting that for many of us, actually, we didn't have a clear vision um, of what we wanted to become. I, I, from my side, wanted to become a singer. Um, for a while and I'm terrible at singing which obviously then doesn't go well together um, and then I had like totally different um, dreams and ended up doing something that probably I never dreamed of doing so it's, it's yeah I think maybe maybe we can differentiate between you know having childhood fantasies and really having a vision of of where you were going to be and what your life looked mm -hmm. like when you grew up I mean I think I'm still waiting to find out what my life looks like when I grow up <laughs> Yeah, um, I hear you because I still have the hope that I will be a grown-up someday. So <laughs> I haven't given up on that dream for sure. And We're in good company then. How that works. Um, but so when you say it's, it's about curiosity, right, and about taking on a challenge, um, is this something that kind of came with your background, with your education at home? Did you experience an environment that kind of, you know, Because not everyone kind of is brought up in a way where you're allowed to ask questions or allowed to, you know, to challenge um, their parents or even adults in overall. Did you have an environment that kind of was fruitful for that? Yeah, I, I mean, both my parents are quite intellectual, you could say. They're quite thinking people. And I suppose there was quite a lot of discussing at home um, and we would always join in. Um, but I've always had quite an active imagination. You know, I would, you know, quite often be on my own and just amuse myself and find ways of 
um, doing what I wanted to do. And it wasn't always sort of the normal thing. It was just creating things that I wanted to do and going down a little rabbit hole there or a rabbit hole there. And um, particularly on the challenge front, it was if somebody would ever say that something was very hard, then I wanted to try and prove them that I could that I could do it. You know, I've, I think my mother um, actually in my wedding speech, she described me as an ox and a donkey, you know, strong and stubborn. <laughs> so um, I, I think that if you lay down a challenge in front of me, I'm, I will very rarely sort of let it go until until we achieve success. OK, thanks for sharing that. So if you look at where you are today, um, what do you think have been like kind of the, the challenges, challenges that you wanted absolutely to take on with your current role? Or was there anything, you know, from your curiosity perspective to really drove you to this last position where you're in and now in Faring? Yeah, well, that was another perfect example of, of a challenge being laid down and <laughs> before me because um, I was at Faring and it was time for transformation. And um, um, my manager entrusted me, um, thankfully. I was very grateful to be given that, um, that, that task, entrusted me to... Uh, build a new team and build a new function and and that was the perfect challenge. So were you already in IP when when you were requested to take on this challenge or were you in a different function before? Yeah yeah I was I was already uh, in IP but there I was the first lawyer um, to join uh, to do the trademark work um, that's, that, that reminds me of a funny story, actually, because I ended up in IP completely by accident. And, um, you know, we, I don't know if this speaks to other people, but um, went to university and, and was studying arts to begin with. And, and everyone was sort of saying to me, oh, what are you going to be with an arts degree? And I thought you'd do so much more than that. And so I thought, oh, OK. And at the same time, everyone in first year law was talking about how difficult it was and only one in three people passed to the next year. Um, so I thought, oh, why don't I give that a shot? And um, then you sort of find yourself uh, after four years having a law degree and, and sort of being offered a job. And I didn't really think that I wanted to be in a big commercial law firm. So I, I turned down that job. But there was another job on offer at, a, at an IP boutique firm. And so I went along to that interview and Actually, I did all the things that you shouldn't do at interviews, you know, like asking them if they were sure that they wanted somebody who didn't want a long-term commitment and somebody who had, <laughs> who had never studied IP and all the things that you shouldn't do. And for some reason, they, they, they took me on and um, it was a really great year. I spent a year there and that's when I first learned about trademarks and, um, and actually I was at the privilege to work on one of the first um, colour per se cases. Um, which ended up going to the Privy Council. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that was my introduction to IP. But as I say, it was it was a little bit by accident, but it was a it was definitely a happy one. Great. So, and I think coincidences sometimes, you know, happen. But I think often enough, we always for, also forget that actually we have done a lot to get to the position or to the spot where coincidences actually mm -hmm. happen. They don't happen naturally, right? We, I myself also kind of tap into this kind of trap where I see myself depicting um, how I became who I am professionally and privately by saying, oh, this happened just like, you know, by a 
weird coincidence or it's a funny story. And actually at the end of the day, we realized that you still had to do a lot of things actually to get to, to get somewhere where people will first of all be aware of who you are and what you can do and then give you those opportunities to, you know, to raise and to create like a new team or, you know, just to take on a new challenge. So I think it's, it's interesting that, that some of us have the tendency to depict ourselves as like, you know, this happened and actually, you know, it somehow happened. Uh, it was not intentional. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, um, when you when you are in the IP world, at least some people that I know, they they kind of talk about themselves in this way. Often enough, it's women. Yes. Often um, very so... self-deprecating. I agree. Yeah. yeah, it's very endearing, but it's not always. You don't always do yourself a favor by selling yourself that way. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's good that we share this because maybe for for you know the the next generation that's coming up. Um, they should just be aware that it's not bad to kind of shine a light on mm. yourself, mm. you know, to kind of be a little bit more outgoing and praise yourself about the things you're doing. Because um, we kind of have this sense, this feeling that sometimes, you know, it's okay to praise our teams. It's We still have trouble praising ourselves. And, and I myself really work on this, but can see myself again and again, just not going all in. Of um, I don't know if it's you know I, I don't think it's actually just because one is humble it's just because we haven't been brought up in that way of just being outspoken about all the smaller or bigger successes that we go yeah, through. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a difficult balance to find that. I mean, I think humility is an extremely important characteristic, and definitely good leaders should absorb responsibility. You know, take the blame when things go wrong and and disperse credit when things go right, absolutely. So it's wonderful to be in a team who has a leader like that. Um, but you're right, it's, you have to find the right balance with, with everything. Often that's the hardest part. <laughs> so you have beautifully bridged to my next question, which was actually about leadership. And um, as you have been you know, um, in the work environment for, for a certain number of years, I'm sure that you have come across different type of managers and leaders. You just mentioned humility being one of the important characteristics mm. for a good leader. Could you share a little bit more, you know, about what you think a good leader is made of and, you know, how, if, if this is something, some of these characteristics, can we learn them or is this more something that naturally comes to someone? Yeah, yeah sure. But wow, uh, it's uh, such a huge, such a huge topic. And just as a caveat, I need to say, of course, that all my managers have been wonderful leaders. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously um, I think yes humility obviously is one thing that I think is extremely important um, you know it brings to mind that we've been talking about the end of the command and control era and you know flat management and empowerment and um, manager as coach you know it almost seems trite to be talking about those things now, you know, you trot them out and everyone says, yes, 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 they've been around for decades. <laughs> but, you know, the fact is, I mean, doesn't it say something that we're actually still talking about that? It's, it's, um, it's a movement that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to turn that cargo ship around. And I think, you know, those things stand for a lot, you know, the aspect of servant leadership. Um, and there's probably many characteristics of that you could have if you're a servant leader um, one thing that I find extremely important for myself um, and therefore what I think 
I ought to reflect also, um, is allowing authenticity. You know, I, I cannot be more engaged than when I'm allowed to be who I am. And how are we supposed to bring out the best of ourselves if we can't even be ourselves to begin with? Um, so I think it's, I think it's, you know, critical to see the best in everyone and allow them to be each individual to be who they are and just take the best out of them and, and grow that and, um, not to view leadership as an entitlement or a position, um, but more as an attitude and a responsibility to make sure that you give a little bit more meaning to what they're doing on a day-to-day basis than just the financial reward, you know? Um, Because I've been thinking about performance management a bit recently and Actually, I think I would rather turn it around and say, let's focus on engagement management. And if we, mm-hmm. if we really look at that, then I wouldn't say that performance would just take care of itself automatically, but I think a lot of the issues would, would be addressed. I mean, I, I know for myself, and I've seen it in other people too, that I'm willing to jump over the moon if, if I respect somebody and I'm feeling engaged and I'm feeling appreciated and I'm feeling respected and I'm feeling safe, you need to feel safe, you know, that you can take risks and that's where innovation lies, you know? Um, yeah. So I think if I should bring it into a nutshell, you need to prioritize the people over probably over the numbers, um, the people yeah. over performance, um, and give them a reason to to know to 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 know that they can they can be fulfilled as well as doing the best for the group benefit you know that the group benefit isn't going to come come at a cost to them and they can also get fulfillment out of this whole equation yeah i think it's interesting um, you started by saying that we'd still continue to talk about this this shift, right, and this change in, in, in leadership styles, strategies. Um, and yes, we've heard about this, read about this, like for the last couple of years, from from a very directive style to an engaging style to empowerment, you know, embossed, um, and so on and so on. I still think um, I agree with you. It's a journey. I don't think that we are there yet. Um, I think it's something that's very in us because we have lived in prior years in a system that was very much focused on numbers. Um, this will not be a, <laughs> a surprise to you, but in the pharmaceutical field as well, you know, um, we have seen how, yes, numbers are important today, but today really the vision of the companies and even the communication is centered around the patient and what's good for the patient. And that was, I think it was somehow part of what we had in the past, but in the past you could also see that depending on how the numbers went, you would have different messages being passed. And I think that has changed a lot. And I think this is probably also something that will happen with leadership. We will see like the top down not being acceptable anymore. Um, mm. Just being requested every time uh, more and more. Um, at Novartis, we just, have implemented the change, which for me kind of goes into the same direction as we have started to implement distributed working, which is actually making the kind of mix between home office and 
working at the office a permanent state. Mm. It's not going to be that. for the COVID-19 situation, but rather it's going to be forever. And I must say I was, I was thrilled by it, and I have my own personal reasons as to why I'm so thrilled by it, but I think it also comes with a fair share of responsibility for the associates. You know, it's a little bit that, and, 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 it, and I'm just mentioning this because it comes together with the fact that, you know, you say we are ready to really go 200% when we feel trusted, when we feel empowered, when we feel accountable. At the same time, when you're given the freedom, you also have to make sure that you make the decisions on yourself, right? So you don't have the top gui- down guidance anymore. You're left a little bit to yourself to figure out what's best for you. And at the same time, to always put forward um, the team and the objectives for the company. So it's not an easy switch, right? It's like people say, well, this means I can just work whenever I want. And um, you know, from where I want. And actually, once you start thinking about seriously what this translates into, you also feel, okay, so I'm being given all this freedom to decide how I want to work. At the same time, it's quite a tough decision to make for yourself. Because if you have used to having a manager that would give you guidance as to how to work and how to interact with your colleagues, now this guidance is gone. I'm not sure if you have, you know, had some time to think about this and, and, and what did you know, what your thoughts are. Oh, I, I've been thinking about this so much and I, <laughs> I, saw, I, I saw the, um, the, the announcement from Novartis and I, I can only applaud it. And I think, you know, this period during COVID has made so many people reflect and we've really got an opportunity to make transformational changes now that, that we probably, well, that we may not have ever made, but now we could make them a lot faster as well. Um, my personal view is that people should be given that freedom and um, it comes down to the the issue of trust I mean and if you have engaged the right people and if you build that relationship of trust well and if they are engaged in what you're doing and have respect for the team and have respect for you I don't think that it should be it should be a big issue. I mean, you can be at the office and do nothing. You really can. <laughs> um, so, and I think, you know, giving people that kind of empowerment and, you know, I'm, I'm 48 years old, you know, I'm a big girl. I, I know how to arrange my day. I know um, how to arrange my day in a way where I'm more efficient. Mm-hmm. And it's not about being at your computer a certain number of hours or between that hour or that hour or being at the office. Um, and, and so I'm very open-minded about that. And I really hope that um, that these move, this movement will keep going and people will be more and more inspired and more and more trusting and more and more um, you know, trustworthy and engaged by these types of changes. Well, I'm happy to hear that you see it similarly to me because I think to me it's also it comes down just simply to the relationship that you build up with your associates um, mm. and and with your managers, obviously. But if you are trusted, then I don't know why this shouldn't work. I cannot imagine why the fact that we were working like this during a, such a tense situation as the lockdown was. Um, it would have worked. And now did we go back to a little bit more of a normal setting that once of a sudden shouldn't work anymore. 
Um, I don't think it's just a question because people feel pressured by the situation that they adapt to it. I think that we can also adapt to it just because it makes us more efficient to choose when we do certain things. And even if it is um, to resource and re-energize ourselves during the day. So um, I'm with you. Yeah. (laughs) Rachel, you were sharing a little bit about your um, view on leadership. I wanted to raise one question about gender. As you know, I, I'm, I'm passionate about this topic, so I cannot let you go <laughs> without having talked about this. Um, I was wondering if you believe that good leadership is in any way related to gender or, or if it's gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Tricky question. <laughs> um, no, I don't think it's it's related to gender. I think it's related to the characteristics that you portray as a leader and the attitude you have towards your own leadership responsibility and why you're doing that. I mean, um, it's not, an, an, like I said at the start, I think I mentioned, it's not an entitlement that comes with your position or your rank. You know, that's that's about having authority over people. That's about obtaining obedience and compliance rather than having leading by creating the vision and focusing on engagement. And really it's it's about being of service to others, making sure taking on that responsibility to ensure that you do your utmost to make sure that those around you rise. And I I think that can be done by a man or a woman. I think they're probably going to do it in a slightly different way. Um, But but I think it can be done by by either. Yeah, Yeah, I think we agree on that. I think um, leadership is really something that's not related to gender. It's really more about um, why. And actually, I think the, the, the... the why question that you raise is so important. I think another guest, Veronica, she raised exactly the same question, said it depends on what your intentions are. It mm. depends on why you actually are aspiring to become a manager, a leader of a team. And obviously, if it is to kind of um, put pressure on others or, you know, who knows? Build your know, own ego. Yeah. Power or <laughs> whatever it is that your fantasies may be. Yeah. Um, probably it's not going to have um, the same impact as, as, as if you do it out of your wish to serve others or to serve the company and together with your team them to, to achieve the best results. So I think we agree on that. Um, if we stick a little bit with the gender question, do you think that this discussion around gender, because very often, you know, when I, when I bring this topic up, I'm like, people tell me, well, you know, here in Switzerland, it's not a topic, you know, things here are good. Um, we're working on equality of pay and so on. And, and often I feel like, um, I feel actually a little bit of a discomfort to bring it up because it seems to be like such a non-topic for many. Mm. Um, I myself um, think it is still a topic and I wanted to know if for you, this continues to be a topic or if you think that by now we should kind of take it as a given and just you know move forward Mm. i think it comes back to what we mentioned before you know it's surprising that we're still having to have these discussions right but we are still having to have these discussions and i think i can also be lackadaisical about it um and that's that's probably cultural i mean i grew up in the first country to give universal suffrage (laughs) Um, at the end of the 1800s, and we've had many um, admirable women leaders, um, Prime Ministers, Jenny Shipley, Helen Clark, Jacinda Ardern. So I sometimes find myself 
disbelieving that we're having to <laughs> having to push this <laughs> push this issue you know more but but I think we we, we are um, and obviously there's some people who are suffering more from diversity issues than others um, my own personal view is that I'm not so attached to the gender debate or the race or the religion debate. I'm, it comes back to this, this idea of authenticity for me. Um, you know, the sense of allowing individuality on a whole. I mean, we are all diverse. We are all individuals. And what we really need is tolerance and open-mindedness to each individual and their individuality. And, you know, that can show up um, in in big ways or it can show up in not so big ways um, like what about how you prefer to dress or talking about flex time or home office where and how you prefer to work or what your leadership style is or your managerial style is or just not having a vision that one is better than the other or right or wrong but just allowing people to be who they are and bringing out the best of that um, so I think for me, the diversity issue, I would really like to see it be applied to the things we kind of take for granted as well. You know, we all expect people to show up to the office dressing a certain way, or we all expect people to behave a certain way or talk a certain way or, you know, be this or that. But what about allowing all those tiny aspects of diversity amongst all of us? I think that's a very good point. Um... I'm a little bit stuck in the gender issue, not because it for me it's more relevant or important than the others, but just because very often I believe that if you cannot talk about the gender issue, which everyone can relate to, you know, everyone can, you know, mm. you can be, you can say, okay, this is who I am. Most cases, uh, we know that there is different gender, you know, kind of categories our days, but even that, I think if in, in some environments you're not even able to talk about that, then all the other differences will not find their way either, mm. you know, as a topic um, of discussion. And that's why um, I kind of push for this because I believe that once we have this on the table, we will be able to talk about all the other smaller or bigger differences. And I hope that that will create like, um, if we get to a place where we feel comfortable talking about this, then I hope that all the other things will come as well mm -hmm. and that we will kind of get to your level where it's about just accepting the uniqueness of each human being and not about trying to enforce certain standards that we're not certain where they came from, first of all. <laughs> They're just kind of invented things that someone decided were the way to dress, to act, to talk, to be and all the other ways that, that they're unacceptable. I must say that I also think sometimes we just reinforce it ourselves by having assumptions in our head. Like I myself remember when I went for my first kind of more official role when I worked at the UN, I had the feeling I had to wear a suit mm. um, because I saw around me that everyone was working, kind of wearing more formal um, things. And, and actually, this is just a small thing that, doesn't cost me much effort but at the same time as you say um it still is not yourself it's not the authentic you and you still have to do this smaller effort that costs you energy and that just restrains you on who you are and i think it's a great thing that today we're going towards 
a direction where we are more allowed to be ourselves. I think I would agree with you that authenticity is kind of key, be it in the discussion of gender or other diversity in general, also be in the discussion about leadership, because authenticity brings also with it that you are more trusted because people know who you are. Mm. They get to know you, your real you, mm. and have them, you know, can foresee ways as to how you're going to act and react. And I think that gives a lot of security and a safety feeling. So I, I, be, I believe you're, you're right. It's a very important kind of angle to take with respect to many of the points that we address today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think safety is the key. I mean, your example of wearing the suit, I mean, we all want to fit in, right? Human beings, it's a basic need that we want to feel safe and we want to feel accepted. So it's about cultivating the environment and the context where people know it's safe, even if they're not looking like 90% of the other people. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's biological. We, but so I, I think it's really about cultivating that environment and making sure that people understand the message and trust the message because you can say it, <laughs> but we're but doing it is another thing. Yeah. Many thanks for sharing that. I think this is really excellent um, input for leadership overall because that's exactly what we want to get to is really create an environment where we all, by listening to each other, which is learn and just broaden our mindset. And I think broadening our mindset is just the first step towards accepting the other mm. and being more diverse. Mm. Um, this leads you to our last question, um, and that would be, if you were speaking to Rachel in her 20s, what advice would you give her? You know, I think uh, this, this echoes back to what we were saying about not, not hiding your own light, but I think I would say learn to believe in yourself more. Um, to harness the power of my own mind in a positive way and to, to be my own best friend rather than my harshest critic. I think I would put some energy into training and putting more attention, attention into that. So that does, that's not to mean to become arrogant about myself or anything, but to be wise and kind with myself. Yep, I think that's excellent advice. I have nothing to add to that. I think it applies to many of us. So I think it's a, it's an advice that we can all take, not only when we were 20, but continue actually our journey towards improving in that area. And that hopefully in, you know, in some decades from now, we, we can all say, yes, now I got there, I'm doing this and I'm proud of who I am and I cherish what I do myself um, without the need to be always looking at the yes, but, or you know, but I, did it, I didn't do it alone or I was helped. So we're always looking for these little phrases to accompany mm. what we achieve. So I hope that we'll get there some point. I'm sure. Excellent, Rachel. Thanks so much for your time today. It has been a pleasure as usual to speak to you and um, to all our listeners. Hope to um, talk to you, see you very soon. Thanks very much, Myrta, for having me and letting me be me. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I hope you liked this episode of Leaderching in English. Don't forget to give us a thumbs up on your respective platform and subscribe to our podcast. See you soon.